reading comes from John 15, verses 18 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, church. Oh boy, you guys haven't woken up yet. (laughs) Good morning. It is such a joy to be here today with you. Um, My name is Nidiaris, and I'm one of the pastors here on the downtown campus. And I am so glad that we get to gather together around the Word of God this morning. As you may know, or maybe not, (laughs) I am from Puerto Rico. And let me tell you, it shows when I speak Spanish. I have a thick Puerto Rican accent. And it has not watered down, even though I have been living in mainland USA for about 16 years. I rarely have to tell one of my fellow Latin American brothers and sisters where I'm from. My fast-paced Spanish, really, really fast. The drop of the R and the S in strategic places. And my use of Puerto Rican slang communicate to my Latin American brothers and sisters that my Spanish sounds like salsa music. Well, most of the time. (laughs) This summer, I spent some time in Mexico for about six weeks, finishing up the internship for my MDiv studies. And I was there for six weeks, and I spent a lot of time with these brothers and sisters ministering alongside them. A group of pastors from the central region of Mexico, that's where I was, and I spent a lot of time with them. I learned from them. I stayed in their houses. I ate at their tables. I ministered with them. I listened to their stories, went on house visits with them and prayer walks with them. I walked intimately with them for six whole weeks. And it did not take long for me to start picking up the regional slang and the language inflections. Pretty soon my Spanish started to sound more like mariachi than salsa. Walking closely with someone will do that to you. 
you begin to see the virtues of a close friend and your behavior begins to change. You also begin to see the weaknesses of another friend. You see their flaws. And then you start thinking, well, maybe I have them too. And maybe my friend and I can work together to improve one another and sharper one another. Now, I want you to think about the disciples who were walking closely with Jesus for about three years from the start of his ministry on earth until his crucifixion. During that time, they traveled together, they walked together, they ate from the same table, and they had deep, intimate, hard conversations with each other. I imagine they knew what Jesus' favorite food was. They probably knew what was his bedtime. They were living in deep intimacy with the most beautiful one in whom there is no blemish. Now think about that for a second. That will definitely change a person. <laughs> I imagine that Matthew began to realize that the power structures of the Greco-Roman world where he lived were not effective in the kingdom of God, where the blessed ones are the poor in spirit, the meek, the humble, the peacemakers, the persecuted. I imagine that Peter began to understand that the same way his fisher's net could gather all kinds of fish, Jesus was wanting to gather for himself all kinds of people, not just the shiny ones with wealth and power. I imagine that Mary started to realize that there is really no one more gorgeous than Jesus and that he is worthy of this expensive perfume that she poured at his feet. And John, John understood that the Savior of the world loved him. He loved him. And so he felt compelled and felt at liberty to lean <coughs> against his chest without all the background noise. <laughs> he felt compelled to lean against his chest. Can you imagine that? A young fisherman from Galilee was leaning against the chest of the savior of the world. A young fisherman from Galilee was that close to Jesus. That means, my friends, that the disciples they started to walk like Jesus. They started to smell like Jesus. They started to sound like Jesus. It turns out that intimacy, intimacy also has an accent. The disciples were not only different, but they were better for meeting Jesus and following him. However, not everybody thought so. The Jewish and religious leaders of the day frequently expressed, th expressed their distaste for the way that Jesus lived and the way that he walked, the things that he said. And consequently, we can anticipate that these religious and political leaders will not like the way in which Jesus' disciples were moving and living and teaching. They didn't like the way that they show up in the world because that way was a manifestation a direct consequence or the way that they walk closely with Jesus. This means that the disciples were not always welcome. In fact, they will soon experience overt hatred. 
And in the passage that occupies us this morning from the gospel according to John, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the hatred and the rejection that they would experience as a direct consequence of following Jesus. The disciples have been closely following Jesus for a while, while he, namely Jesus, was physically present. But now they were going to have to learn to follow and obey him in his physical absence and in the midst of hatred. And John tells us that he has been preparing his disciples for this occasion by teaching them how to love and serve sacrificially when he washed their feet, by reassuring them that they were not going to be alone, that he was going to live with them the Holy Spirit, and by telling them that the secret to obedient discipleship is intimacy with him, intimacy with Jesus, the vine and branches lifestyle, the kind of friendship that Pastor Caleb was talking about last week. Can you see that Jesus really here is trying to comfort his disciples? It's just not working very well. Especially when you start by saying in John 15, 18, if the world hates you. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> My first sermon was on judgment. This one is about hate. <laughs> I'm beginning to sense a theme. <laughs> now, before I go any further, let me acknowledge the fact that the church has done a lot of things in the name of Jesus that warrant the hatred, the rejection, and the opposition of the world. But let me assure you that that is not obedience to Jesus, but to human agendas. And therefore, it is not what the Apostle John is talking about here. Here, John is talking about those who, clo who are closely following Jesus and experiencing the hatred, rejection, and opposition of the world as a natural consequence of true discipleship. In addition, let me also clarify that the world here may be understood as humanity in opposition to God, according to Dr. Graham Cole, who was a professor in the seminary I studied. So, now that we got that out of the way, what John is talking about here is the fact that something radical had taken place in the life of the disciples as a result of them walking really close and intimately with Jesus. And that resulting, resulting in them speaking in ways and acting in ways that were consonant to Jesus' teaching, but that were really, really upsetting to the religious and political leaders of the day. Consequently, they were going to experience the hatred, the antagonism, the opposition of those leaders, political and religious leaders, and the institutions that saw Jesus' teaching and way of living as a threat to the status quo. In other words, my friends, intimacy with Jesus is not inconsequential. So, how were the disciples supposed to respond to such hate? I would like to submit to you today that in the midst of hatred, we continue to walk in intimacy with Jesus. And we do so first by knowing that Jesus was hated first. Jesus told his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In other words, Jesus is saying 
when what I am telling you is no longer a conditional clause and the if becomes a reality, I want you to remember and I want you to know that they hated me before they hated you. Jesus had been walking around the Holy Land, upsetting religious leaders and political authorities by overturning the tables at the temple. That means asserting his authority. By talking to Samaritans, whew, that means befriending the wrong people. Performing miracles in the Sabbath, upsetting the system and breaking the rules, and claiming to be the only way to the Father, God himself, the Messiah, the anointed one. He was God. He is God. Well, now the disciples were going to repeat the same things that Jesus said. Now they were going to be doing the same things that Jesus did. So do you think that the world was going to spare them the hatred that they showed Jesus? Of course not. Of course not. Now the disciples were chosen by Jesus. Repeat that word with me, chosen. The disciples were chosen by Jesus. They were set apart. They were separated, distinct from the world. They were different. You know, Augustine, one of the church fathers, he once observed that sin causes us to have a curved posture. It causes us to walk hunched down with our head down looking at the floor. Oh, but Jesus, when Jesus comes into the life of a person, he comes and strengthens us up and our heads are now held high. What happened to the disciples was that they had an encounter with the holy chiropractor. <laughs> that is what happened to them. And beloved, I'm going to tell you something. You and I were once walking in a curved posture too. You and I were once walking in sin with our face down looking at the floor. That is because slander, sexual immorality, filthy talk, pride, injustice, and so many other sins, it has its hands in our backs and it keeps us looking down at the floor. Oh, but Jesus. Jesus came and he lifted you up and strengthened you up and now you are able to walk with your head held high because that is what he does to a person that encounters him and when we start walking in intimacy with him he comes into our life and he starts doing his holy chiropractor job and now our posture looks more like him he took the devil's dirty hands off our backs that is what he did. And now we walk straight with heads held high, looking at each other in the face, walking like children of God, knowing exactly who and whose we are. And we are walking now conducting ourselves as daughters and sons of God. Therefore, my friends, we are different. We are not the same. We are no longer of this world. I want to break the news to you that you and I are now immigrants. We are now immigrants. Now you too have an accent. <laughs> <laughs> now you have a holy accent. Intimacy, my friends. Intimacy has an accent. Therefore, 
Just like the sound of my Spanish accent changes from salsa to mariachi whenever I spend some time with my Mexican brothers and sisters. Our communion with Jesus changes the way we sound and move. It doesn't take long for our colleagues to notice that we do not swear as much anymore. It doesn't take long for our friends to begin to wonder why we decided to stop cohabiting with our romantic partner. It doesn't take long for our colleagues and friends to wonder why we no longer laugh when somebody makes a comment objectifying women. It doesn't take long for our family to notice that we no longer make inflammatory comments whenever politics surfaces at the table, at the dinner table. The people around us also notice that now we start thinking more about the disenfranchised, the left out, the pushed aside, and the left behind. We, like Jesus, start talking to the people that nobody else wants to talk to because we begin to pay more attention to our neighbors. Now we, like Jesus, surround ourselves <laughs> with different kind of folks because we have been transformed by walking intimately with him. And this does not mean we do not sin anymore. Well, I don't have to tell you that. We do sin every day. What it does mean is that now that beautiful friend that Pastor Gabe was talking about a few weeks ago has made his home inside of us. And now whenever we are sinning, he convicts us from sin so that we can turn back to God in repentance. And when people notice the changes that our intimate walk with Jesus produces in us, we sometimes encounter the opposition and rejection of the world to our way of living. And you know why that is? Because our way of living, like Jesus's, challenges the status quo and the business as usual kind of lifestyle. More on that later. Hold that up. But at this point in our journey through this text, let us keep in mind that when we experience the hate and opposition of the world, we are keeping company with Jesus, who paved the way for us by proclaiming and living the truth. And he bore the hate of the world when he died on the cross. Thus, another way in which we continue to walk intimately with Jesus in the midst of hatred is by remembering that when we suffer the hatred of the world, we do so by walking in Jesus' footsteps. We're following him. Jesus tells his disciples in verses 20 and 21, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Do you remember John 13, that beautiful passage when Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples, teaching them to serve sacrificially? In verses 21 and 22, Jesus is reminding his disciples of something that he recently taught them. After he had washed their feet, he told them to follow his examples, his example. And he also told them that a servant is not greater than his master in John 13, 6. In other words, Jesus here is telling his closest, his closest, most intimate friends, you are no better than I am. 
you are no better than I am. If they criticize me, if they reject me, if they slander me, if they disregard my words, and yes, if they kill me, know that you are no better than me and they will do the same things to you. You cannot expect anything less for yourselves. And they will do these things to you because you bear my name. Because you proclaim the message that I gave you. Because you live in the way that I showed you. Phew, bear with me. <laughs> I know that's a lot. It's a lot to take in. One more. Jesus continues and he says, they will do this to you because they don't know who I am. They have been reading the Torah. They know what the prophet says. But they do not know that the God that they served is the one who sent me. And now I am sending you in the name of the same God that they hate, in my name. Therefore, they will hate you too. <sighs> By now, you may be shifting in your seat, feeling uncomfortable with the heat of this passage. Well, let me assure you that putting these words to paper was brutal and that I'm uncomfortable too. But I also have the responsibility to tell you that God is not interested in our comfort. He is interested that we follow him faithfully. That is what God is interested in. And we live in a world that idolizes comfort and security. Our picture of intimacy and walking closely with someone is colored by romantic comedies and Hallmark cards. That's not intimacy. But the question is, are we going to stick with Jesus when the hatred of the world comes knocking at our door? Or in other words, and phrased differently to use Pastor Caleb's uh, words last week, are we going to be Jesus' friends when the rest of the world hates him? And therefore they hate us too. Jesus here tells his disciples something remarkable and countercultural. He's saying... Stick with me. Keep company with me by considering your suffering an act of service. Say what? You heard me. <laughs> Just a few verses above in our passage today. Jesus said, For no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. That's John 15, 13. He uttered those words in anticipation of his death. He was going to die for his friends. And in doing that, he will perform the greatest act of service that anyone has ever performed on behalf of anybody else. And by the way, his friends included his disciples then and includes you and I today. So now Jesus was turning the tables. He was turning things upside down by telling his disciples I'm going to tell you something. There might come a day when you will have to die for me too. And the book of Acts testified to the arrival of such a day. Stephen was accused of blasphemy and stoned because he confronted the political and religious leaders of his day with their sin. Peter was in and out of jail. James died by the sword of King Herod. Paul was imprisoned, kicked out of cities, rejected, persecuted. I mean, the list goes on and on. And today, many brothers and sisters around the world die 
and are persecuted because they bear the name of Jesus. And I want to be quick to add something here. What I mean when I say what I when I say that by suffering, we should consider suffering as an act of service. I do not mean that we walk around with a victim mentality. I do not mean that we tolerate injustice. I do not mean that we stop fighting for what is right. I do not mean that we assume a posture of masochism. What I do mean is that hate, rejection, and opposition, whether it be as overt as dying for the sake of our Lord Jesus, or as passive-aggressive as the social media post, hate, rejection, and opposition are a part of discipleship, and we need to be ready to face it when it comes. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that they, and we, need not be surprised by the hatred of the world for two reasons. And the first one of those reasons is that the perfect revelation of God in Jesus Christ exposes the sin of the world. In verses 22 to 24, Jesus says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates the Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have sinned and hated both me and my Father. Friends, Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. John said that in a million different ways in his gospel. Many different ways for many different people. For the visual learners and the auditory learners. For the artisans and the philosophers. For the teachers of the law and the common folks. Jesus, said John, says John, has always been and will always be. By his power, he turned water into wine. He made the lame walk, fed thousands with five loaves of bread and two fish. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the ship. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. Nobody had any excuse to hate Jesus. Oh, but they did. They did. And consequently, they hated God. The reason they hated Jesus is that his perfect walk with God exposes their sin. You know, when we encounter the beauty of Jesus, his radiance, his brilliant light in the midst of our darkness, our instinct is to hide because everything is now visible. The things that we were so hard to keep hidden now are in complete display by the light of Jesus. All of the things in our lives that need adjustment become clear. The curvature in our spiritual spines that Augustine talked about becomes apparent. When we face this reality, we have two options. We can either submit to the hand of Jesus, the holy chiropractor, and let him do his thing, or we can resist it. And let me tell you, Jesus is the only one that can set what is crooked straight. Unfortunately, Jesus' first audience in the first century chose the latter option. They chose to resist the hand of God. 
And many people today also opt to reject Jesus. And this reaction, Jesus said, should not surprise us. Secondly, because it is the fulfillment of scripture. In verse, verse 25 says, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Here, Jesus is probably alluding to Psalm 69.4, which reads, more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. So what Jesus is saying here, I am the ultimate fulfillment of that scripture. And let us not miss the irony in this passage when Jesus says that it is written in their law. That means that the very law that the religious leaders were trying to defend is the same law that predicted that they were going to hate Jesus. Therefore, friends, do not be alarmed when you encounter the hate of those who oppose God. Do not be alarmed when you find a nasty comment of your social media feed because you share a story of how Jesus changed your life. Do not be alarmed when conflict arises in your family because your life with Jesus and your beliefs is not consonant with their worldview or with their religious beliefs. Do not be alarmed when you encounter the mockery of colleagues and friends who find your way of living antiquated and out of date. Rather, take heart. Take heart in knowing that the opposition of the world is an indication that you're keeping company with Jesus. It's an indication that you're walking intimately with Jesus and that you're participating in what the Apostle Paul will co later call the fellowship of his sufferings. Please, please, I beg you, do not interpret this as an excuse to go around picking up fights I'm watching you. <laughs> Consider this an invitation for us to examine our response to the world. I respond to the world, sorry. Whenever we encounter is rejection. Are you surprised when you encounter the hatred of the world? That should raise an alarm in our hearts that tells us that we have grown to be a little too comfortable and cozy in a word that is only meant as our temporary home. That means that we have grown a little too comfortable in a world where we, are on, where, where we are meant to be immigrants. We have grown too comfortable, too cozy. That sense of surprise just causes us to wonder if we are a little too attached to our material possessions, our reputations, our social status. So let us consider our response to the world's, to the world, to the world, to the world's hatred as an opportunity to examine where our loyalties are. Whenever we are surprised, we should be thinking, where are my loyalties? Are my loyalties to Jesus or are my loyalties to my material things, to my reputation, to my possessions? Where is my heart? Are my priorities ordered in the right way? Whenever we face the opposition of the world, it's an opportunity to ask God to examine our hearts, to reorder our priorities, and for him to sit in the throne at the center of our hearts, which, by the way, is rightfully his, but is currently occupied by the things of this very world that hates us. It's a time to examine ourselves. By now, I hope 
that something is bothering you. I hope that you're feeling the discomfort of this passage. I really hope that something is itchy. And I hope that while you're squirming in your seat, you have been asking a really important question. Why? Why? Why should I stick with Jesus? Why should we continue to walk intimately with him in the midst of hatred? Because, friends, we're not alone in our suffering. We collabor with the Holy Spirit in our witness to Jesus. In verses 26 and 27, Jesus tells his disciples, But when the Helper comes, repeat that with me, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about him, about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. A witness is someone who can testify to the truth because he or she has seen and experienced that which is being claimed as truth. The Holy Spirit, who is equal to the Father and the Son, has always been there. They live in community as the Trinity. And therefore, he is the primary witness to Jesus. But he does not labor alone. The disciples have been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. That means that they saw his signs and wonders. They heard his teaching. They saw what he did. They could say, he is Lord. They could say, yes, Jesus is Lord. I saw him turn water into wine. I saw him make the lame walk. I saw him. I heard when he said, I am the light of the world. I heard him say, I am the bread of life. I heard him say, I am the good shepherd. I am, I am, I am, I am. Jesus is Lord. And for such a testimony, they will later be persecuted. But they were not going to suffer alone. Jesus was going to send them the helper, the Holy Spirit, who would constantly remind them of the truth. And this is why Peter and the apostles, the book of Acts tells us, this is why they had the audacity to stand in front of the high priest, who, by the way, had commanded them to not teach in the name of Jesus. And these brave disciples and apostles stood in front of the high priest and said, Oh no, I'm sorry, but you are not going to shut us up. We are going to keep talking about what we have seen and heard. And by the way, we must obey God rather than men. You killed Jesus by hanging him on a tree, but you did not succeed. You know why? Because he resurrected and he is seated at the right hand of God, victorious and reigning. And today, us, along with the Holy Spirit, testify to his work. The Holy Spirit is the reason why Stephen had the guts, he had the nerve to stand in front of the Sanhedrin, meaning the people with political, religious, and judicial power, and say, you stiff-necked people, what? <laughs> you stiff-necked people, your fathers 
killed the prophets that announced Jesus, and now you betrayed and killed Jesus too. The Holy Spirit was the reason why Paul and Silas were sitting in jail, in chains, in prison, yet they were praying and singing hymns to God at the top of their lungs after being beaten because they had proclaimed Jesus' freedom to a slave girl. And the reason why they were able to do that is because they had a Holy Spirit inside of them that constantly testified to the truth of God. They could do that because they were in pain and in chains, but their spirit was free. Their spirit could soar. Because something inside of them was testifying to the truth of God. The Holy Spirit was like an internal megaphone inside of the apostles. This megaphone kept reminding them of the truth that Jesus died, that he resurrected, and that he ascended to heaven. Friends, they couldn't shut up even if they wanted to. They were able to witness to Jesus and testify to him in spite of their pain, despite their pain, because the Holy Spirit reminded them that the Jesus on whose behalf they suffer, that Jesus not only died, but he also resurrected and ascended to heaven and was reigning victorious at the right hand of God. And Stephen testified to that reality when shortly before, before he was being stoned and killed, he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Church, they tried to kill Jesus and they did. They tried to stop this mission of ours, but they did not succeed. The God we serve is alive and well. He resurrected from the dead and sit victorious at the right hand of God. And let me tell you, serving him is worth it. Jesus is worth it. So get ready because there will be a day when we will see him again. And just like the apostles, you and I have the Holy Spirit. That internal megaphone that enables us to witness to the reality that Jesus is Lord. That he died, that he resurrected and sits at the right hand of God. Our helper, the Holy Spirit, is the one who enables me to stand here today to testify to the truth of Jesus. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that missionaries all around the world proclaim the gospel in hostile environments. It is because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we go to our workplaces on Monday and testify about him by working with excellence and diligence. So church, you may be suffering at the moment on account of Jesus. And if you're not, wait for it. It's coming. But I implore you, beloved of God, stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus, walking intimately with him. Because you are not alone. The Holy Spirit walk, walks with you and collaborates with you. Listen to his voice reminding you today that Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. One day we will see his shining face again. 
And we will not be able to contain our tears of joy when we stand in front of his brilliant light, when we stand in front of his beauty, and we are going to cry our eyeballs out in his presence when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Bride of Christ, our groom awaits. Embrace your distinctiveness. Speak with your accent. Befriend the uncomfortable comfort and the suffering delight that comes with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let us be witnesses to the King. Let us pray. Oh God, we come here to say that we cannot witness to your work without you. <laughs> we need your help. We need your grace. We need your empowerment. We need your guidance. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we think about this week, as we think about the things that are before us, that we will always consider and bear in mind that we are being witnesses to you, that we are testifying to the things that you have done on our behalf and that your Holy Spirit is present there in our midst. Whether we are washing the dishes or at work looking at the computer screen, working with patients, working in the lab, wherever it is that we work and spend our days, your Holy Spirit is there with us. Thank you, God, for blessing us with the privilege, Lord, of serving you. Thank you, Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen.